Hello and welcome to Learning From Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And this week we turn to the legendary fund management business, Ausbill, and its global resources portfolio manager, Luke Smith. Luke has spooked a lot of share players who are invested in BHP, Rio Tinto and Fortescue's Metal Group with the big call that the iron ore price surge party is over. So that raises the question, is it time to dump our big mining stocks? But what about the big dividends they've also been paying in the past? And if these are yesterday's heroes for stock market investors, is it time to chase the hot resource companies supplying the likes of Tesla, as well as other electric vehicle and battery companies? And just how good are a buy are the likes of Galaxy Resources, Linus and others? Or is it too late to jump on these rare earths bandwagon companies? Let's find out with Luke Smith. Of Ausbill. Luke, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. Much appreciated. Okay, mate. So um, let's start cut straight to the chase and we'll, we'll test out your, your proposition because a lot of people out there are heavily invested in BHP, Rio, and FMG and will be wondering whether, well, hoping that you're probably wrong, I guess, but let's just see why you think the party's over. Yeah, well, thanks again for, for having me. Uh, I guess the uh, the discussion around iron ore from from our perspective, you know, it's it's clearly a commodity that's polarised the market over the last couple of years since we had the the dam failure uh, in, in Brumadinho. But um, yeah, from from this level, we, we expect uh, iron ore prices to to go lower. You know, key driving force behind that is you know, moderating demand in in China. As, as a starting point, um, you know that's uh, it's clearly been one of the core areas of um, of uh, you know driving price strength over, over the last couple of years, or and really you know since COVID, and and then ultimately um, you know concerns that that uh, supply is continuing to come back into market. You know it is taking longer than than it expected, but uh, you know that combination of of moderating Chinese demand as as uh, you know they they um, tighten up uh, credit within their uh, their economy and and uh, ultimately uh, supply continuing to to come back online both both in in Brazil but um, you know, less issues in, in Australia as well. For, for people out there who aren't you know really aware of what's going on in China right now, um, they might be thinking, oh, this is going to be a part of the Chinese apparent vendetta against the Australian economy. Would you rule this in, or would you rule it out? No, this just comes back to um, you know, really strong Chinese demand as we came out of COVID. Um, you know, clearly, the, the Chinese you know, reverted back to traditional stimulus mechanisms, which are construction heavy uh, and, and ultimately you know, feed into um, you know, steel-related demand, which you know, incrementally supports iron ore demand. And what we've seen you know, uh, over the course of this year really is, is that... Um, yeah, the, the Chinese have gently, you know, put the foot on the brake uh, around uh, stimulus in, in the economy, and and ultimately that that's um, you know, the driving force as, as to why we're seeing demand weakening. You know, this doesn't come back to any vendetta against Australia. This is just their their economy is is gradually easing as as um, you know, they they stimulate the economy less. So, so your argument is that it was excessive spending by China because of the. The, the clear-cut challenge of the coronavirus and lots of maybe demand and therefore production has been brought forward and therefore there's a, going to be a bit a hiatus before they might resume again? I wouldn't say that it's excessive. I think, you know, like, like 
the global economy. You know, that COVID's you know had a major implications on on all economies, and and um, you know China was exceptional as to how quickly that they got their economy back to work. And and as I highlighted, uh, you know, the core mechanisms they were using was stimulating construction related you know activity infrastructure, property, manufacturing, and, and really they pushed things hard and their economy came back on extremely strong. I, th- I think they're comfortable with, with um, you know, the strength in the economy and and, um, and and clearly through the course of the early part of this year that they'd sort of slowed the liquidity injection into the economy and, and ultimately that's just seen a, a, an easing in, in the, the economy and certainly an easing around um, you know, what it means from a steel demand perspective as we look forward as well. To what extent has the problems in Brazil with um, managing the coronavirus and its implications on Vale and its um, supplies, with all the problems that Vale has as well, contributed to the unbelievably high price of iron ore? And therefore, as this unwinds, as the vaccination process in Brazil ultimately improves, albeit slower than probably Europe and the USA. Is this going to be another contributor to bringing iron ore prices down? Yeah, it's it's, it's significant. So, so Vale, Brazil, um, you know, they're one of the four major iron ore producers globally, uh, along with BHP, Rio, and and Fortescue. That you know, sort of dominates iron ore supply. Um, like I highlighted a number of years ago, we had the Brunadinho dam failure, which removed you know, roughly 90 million tonnes of, of supply out of the market of a 1.5 billion tonne, 1.6 billion tonne market. So a significant component of supply came out of the market. Now, as that had started coming back, to your point, Peter, um, you, know, you highlight that uh, COVID you know, caused some issues around enabling their demand growth, that, uh, sorry, their supply growth that they had been projecting to, to come through. Ultimately, though, you know, to your point as well, that, that as we see um, you know, Brazil you know, get vaccinated and, and enable you know, sort of additional activity around these mines, we will continue to see increased activity, uh, sorry, increased output from, from Vale. And, and ultimately, that's one of the components that, that um, eases uh, iron ore prices as well. Mm. Yeah, uh, people who understand the industry as you do, um, you know that when you get a period of sustained high prices for a resource, a, a lot more um, mines come online. They provide a lot more supply to market. Are you actually seeing that now, Lionel? Is there actually been a, a steady and a significant increase in supply or are you expecting it to come on soon? Peter, that's probably one of the surprising Bits about this market at the moment. Like we've had exceptionally strong iron ore prices for a number of years now, and and we just haven't seen the supply response. You know, the, those marginal tons. To your point, that you know make money in, in this environment, just um, you know haven't responded. Um, you know, Chinese marginal ton, tons, the small iron ore producers as well. You know, that there has been a modest reaction. Is probably the the way that you'd put it, but. But not enough to, to meet the, the exceptional demand that's stepped up from a Chinese perspective, and then the loss of supply out of Brazil. Um, so, so 
Yeah, yes, to some degree, it's coming from a modest perspective. But look, that, that's something that definitely has, has um, disappointed the market for a number of years and probably feeds into why we're in an environment where iron ore is $200 a tonne as well. Yeah. So, but are you ex- expecting over the course of 21, 22, we will see that kind of extra supply coming to the market at a time when China's demand's coming off the boil? Yeah, yes, but but at a modest level, yeah. Re- really, what the supply that's coming back is is coming back from Vale. You know, like Vale has some very strong growth targets. I think everyone's, t- you know, like takes takes them with a grain of salt. They they've missed them for a number of years now. Really, the supply growth coming through is is coming from Vale in in, in Brazil, and and um and that's where you see the the, the incremental supply come from. And really, you know, to your questioning, it's only modest level of um, the supply coming from the non-traditional players. Okay, so uh, tell my viewers approximately where the iron ore price is now and where you see it over the next year. Yeah, sure. Um, look, iron ore prices are you know, roughly at two hundred dollars a ton now at the moment. Um, to my point, that's an exceptionally you know, strong level, you know, especially where they were a number of years ago at that $60 a tonne range. Um, we certainly don't expect them to, to go back to that level at any time soon. You know, we expect them to continue to moderate from, from these levels. But the interesting point about that, um, and it's something that we continue to reinforce, what, while we expect the iron ore price to correct from current levels, we continue to see consensus earnings forecast to, to be um, too conservative that the the street that the, the sell side analysts on the street you know continue to forecast an iron ore price that is is you know far too weak uh, for, for the environment that we're presenting so so we're presenting an iron ore price where which is coming off but an environment where earnings continue to be upgraded for the major Australian miners supporting earnings supporting cash flow and ultimately, um, you know, supporting capital returns that your your, your um, listeners would, would obviously. And do, and do you guys on. believe that that those kind of scenarios that the miners clearly have been, you know, telling the market about? Uh, from what perspective? Well, you, you, are you expecting uh, mining companies' earnings to still be strong despite the fact at the simultaneously, uh, iron ore prices will be on the slide? Yeah, yeah. Look, we're obviously going through a super normal period at the moment. Um, BHP and, and Rio's earnings are, are, are dominated by iron ore as a start, and, and so clearly that that's driving extremely strong earnings. Um, but but um, you know the, the market, you know, so sell side analysts are, are forecasting a significant decline in in iron ore prices. So, so too aggressive a decline in in, um, in earnings outlooks and. And ultimately, we we see you know that that moving up, and, and ultimately, you know we, you know that's the key driver for share prices from, from our perspective. So it's a strange environment where we expect iron ore prices um, you know to moderate from current levels, but arguably the the big Aussie miners could still outperform you know through that period as we see these earnings upgrades. Okay, so I'm going to put put you on the spot, Luke. You know you can't be a star and, and not be um, pressured, mate. Um, so. Given that, yeah, and let's just say what well, BHP share price is around, what's it now, 60? Early 50s. Hmm? Early 50s. Early 50s, yeah, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're six months forward. I'm a big holder of BHP. That's wishful thinking. All right. Now, and why I'm thinking 60, I know why 60 is in my head, both Macquarie and 
um, Alderman there, they have a $60 price target on BHP. Uh, that's where the 60 came from. It's more around 50, you're right, 52, 53 or whatever. Um, other, other analysts have a falling, I guess, like you might. But where do you think the BHP share price will be in a year's time? Oh, look, I, I could see a scenario where it's higher. Uh, you know, I, I, I won't, you know, won't outline a price number specifically for you, but but um, look, it's a really positive backdrop for resources at the moment. You know, iron ore is one component, and and um, you know, I've touched on that, and that's a major driver for BHP's earnings, and and ultimately, to my point, I still see earnings upgrades coming through from, from iron ore because the the street remains too conservative, but, but there's more, more to BHP's business than, than just iron ore. Mm. Iron ore, you know, met coal, you know, petroleum, uh, both, both of those commodities have been you know, very strong um, you know, over the course of the, the last couple of months, but over the course of um, you know, this recovery that we've seen over the last 12 months. And, and on top of that, they've also got copper and, and you know, we see you know, real opportunity in copper and likelihood that copper continues to strengthen as well. So, mm. so, one aspect is, is iron ore. You know, sure, we're, we're expecting iron ore to fall. Arguably, though, that is the backbone for BHP. And then these other core commodities that that um, you know we think are at the early stages of, of um, you know, continue to support earnings and continue to strengthen as well. Do you think BHP is going to be helped by its commitment to being more ESG friendly and therefore fund managers will uh, possibly like them more today than they did say two or three years ago. Yeah, look, there's a couple of ways to come at that question. Um, you know, all, all of the um, the major uh, sort of producers have looked to exit the um, the less you know friendly you know sort of components of their portfolio, and you know thermal coal you know is, is the starting point. You know, we've seen you know, sort of exit by Rio Tinto and, and now an exit by BHP out of, out of thermal coal or, or looking to, to exit in, in, in the near term. Um, you know, obviously some question marks as to whether or not petroleum sits within, um, you know, BHP on a longer term basis and, and um, you know, arguably it doesn't. Um, you know, it doesn't from a, a company standpoint and it doesn't from an investor standpoint. But, um, you know, then, then there's the aspects that feed into um, metals demand around decarbonisation. You know, you cannot have decarbonisation without metals. It's, mm. it's as simple as that. And, and components of BHP's portfolio feed into, you know, decarbonisation, um, you know, if it's copper and nickel and the implications around demand for um, around electric vehicles, um, you know, most importantly, if it's, um, you know, potash, you know, another project that they're looking to potentially move forward with as well that, that feeds into some of these these themes as well. So there's a couple of ways to answer that question. Ultimately, I think the uh, the portfolio mix will continue to improve over time, which will you know, make it more investor friendly around fossil fuels. And then you know, that theme around decarbonisation certainly isn't going away and, and metals are core to it. And what's your view on BHP's link to Tesla, a deal that was recently announced? Yeah, I think it just reinforces that um, you know some of these base metals are core to um, the electric vehicle revolution. Nickel's not a major component of BHP's portfolio. It's a great headline. I think it reinforces the the overall theme around electric vehicles and, and 
you know, it, it's real. Uh, you know, the acceleration that we've seen in EV penetration, both in China and, and Europe last year around the green stimulus post-COVID, you know, fed into, you know, really significant step up in, in EV penetration rates. That's great for, um, you know, base metals demand from, from an incremental standpoint, you know, if it's copper and, and you know, probably more importantly, nickel, as you highlight with um, with that Tesla deal with BHP, but but it's even more important with these um, these you know purer demand commodities that that um, that that aren't as uh, far removed and, and and have such more materiality in terms of EV mm-hmm. demand growth, lithium, cobalt, graphite, uh, manganese, um, yeah. you know, important as well. But clearly, you know, BHP doesn't have exposure to those commodities. Yeah. So, and, and, and the point is also electronic vehicles use copper as well, which to me makes me think, well, copper historically is sort of like a, a, a demand global boom type um, resource. But if it's going to have a, a much stronger role in this sort of structural change in the car industry, that's going to be good, a, good for copper prices, I would have thought. And even a company like Oz Minerals, that's pretty long on copper. Do, do you see it that way? Yes, spot on, Peter. Um, let, let, let's start with with demand backdrop. Um, you know, I sort of touched on China, um, but you know what we're seeing in the rest of the world as we've seen a, a restock, and then the implications um, of one of monetary stimulus and, and then ultimately fiscal stimulus feeds into a really positive backdrop from a demand perspective for. Um, Consumption-related commodities, let, let's call it. You know, copper. Copper is one of those from our perspective. And then for, for the last decade, you've seen no investment or modest new investment in in new copper mines as well. So you've got this backdrop for a commodity like copper, where demand is accelerating, and and there's been a lack of investment in new supply. And and then to your point, Peter, you, you've got the incremental demand drivers from decarbonisation. You know, specifically electric vehicles. You know, incrementally, you know, more demand that feeds into an electric vehicle, but also the, the transmission and recharging facilities feeds into incremental demand as well. So a commodity that generally grows at GDP plus now has, you know, some, some uh, significant turbocharge in terms of, you know, the, the, the outlook for it. And, and we expect it to continue to strengthen from these levels. So, so in a sense, it's, it's another resource that greenies, in a sense, have to like because they, they are taking... Uh, fossil fuel consuming normal cars uh, into the electronic vehicle space, which is going to be very good for the environment. Yeah, but at the same time, that the miners need to continue to make steps forward to ensure that they they decarbonise the mines and and they act in an appropriate way in, in how they they mine as well. So that's that's one aspect. But yeah, like decarbonisation without the metals, it doesn't happen. You know, this this enables you know reduction in fossil fuel demand ultimately as well, and and, and enables a shift in, in um, power generation to to feed into renewables to some degree as, yeah, as well. Like, you sound like a, a caring, sharing, environmentally friendly global resource portfolio manager. Then, well, it's just to the point. We see a lot of opportunities. You know, and and, and you know, like you know, we realise that that fossil fuels are structurally challenged on a longer term basis you cannot push back on that whatsoever but there are a lot of opportunities within the space that feed off decarbonisation I've touched on electric vehicles 
renewables, you know, significant metals demand as well, hydrogen, um, you know, as well. There's, there's a number of, of uh, you know, themes that are playing out around decarbonisation that feed into some very significant demand for, for metals. Okay, so what is, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't sort of alert you to the fact that I asked this question, but I know, I know well, I'm like, I, I, when people ask me what, what is the stock I really like because of all these changes that I'm seeing, like, for example, if I'm in America, I would say Zoom's a, a natural winner from this crazy world we're now living in and the kind of discoveries we got. So given your, your position in the resources space, what company do you th- think is really well-placed to be a beneficiary over the next three to five years? I don't worry about the short-term uh, players in the market. Uh, I'm more interested in long-term investors. What company do you think really is well-placed? Yeah, look, look. Let's expand on those comments I made around decarbonisation. See a real opportunity in electric vehicles. See, you know, lithium demand, um, you know, feeding into that. Obviously, see a real opportunity in renewables as well. So, you know, Osbil's a, a major shareholder in, in uh, Galaxy Resources, um, the same way as it's a major shareholder in Linus Rare Earths, and and those two, co- you know, companies. To your question, long-term themes that are playing out. Um, Lithium demand we're seeing for the next decade, you know, thirty percent CAGR demand for through that period. That that is incredible backdrop. You know, sure there's going to be you know periods of, of volatility as as we see supply, you know, sort of respond to that. To to one of your earlier questions, you know, more around iron ore, but as supply responds to the strength in demand, Galaxy Resources that's going through a merger with with Oracle at the moment, you know, you know, will, will be a beneficiary of, of this you know, exceptional demand. Um, you know, given their portfolio of both producing and, and um, growth projects. And then on, on the rare earth side, like I said, Osbil's a major shareholder of um, Linus Rare Earths, you know, a commodity or a group of commodities uh, uh, that, um, you know, benefit one from, from acceleration and EV, um, you know, demand, but, but also, you know, renewables, you know, a, a major, you know, NDPR magnets, yeah, sort of, uh, you know, major component of, of uh, wind turbines. So um, ultimately, you know, these long-term themes that are playing out, you know, very supportive of, of those two companies. Some investors worry that, oh, yeah, there's been such a, a big takeoff that they've missed the boat. What would you say to them? Yeah, look, that these demand drivers aren't going away any time soon, like, like I highlighted. Um, you know, d- demand, you know, continues to grow you know, extremely strongly, you know, for, for both of those core, core areas, you know, if it's electric vehicles or, or it's um, renewables, and we're not going to see a, a slowdown of that. If anything, you're going to see further uptake in a, in a broader global, you know, penetration of, of um, you know, both of those sort of areas. Um, it's cyclical. Resources is cyclical. It needs to be approached, you know, in, in the, the most appropriate way with, with a level of intelligence when you're investing in this space from our perspective and you know, keen focus around the commodities as the, as the, the driver. And there'll be points in this cycle where, where those commodities are, are oversupplied as, as, um, you know, as the market responds too quickly as well. But, but um, yeah, these long-term demand drivers clearly positive for, for those core commodities. Okay. One last area, you know, you've, you've, you've raised question marks around iron ore price, but you've also suggested companies like BHP will still be able to you know, generate pretty good earnings not to undermine their share price. What, what's your view on dividends then? Because dividends are part of the reason why the share price is where they are because there are some people who would, you know, even like me, would never recommend a, a miner for dividends. But 
you know, for a while, there's going to be dividends. What, what is the outlook for dividends, uh, Luke? Yeah, look, um, you know, Rio Tinto is about to report this week. Um, you know, we go into reporting season for, for the other major iron ore producers in in, um, in August. Dividend's going to be bumper. This is, uh, you know, arguably going to be one of the best periods that we're, we're going to see around capital returns for for Australian shareholders. Um, you know, through um, you know, through you know, those positions in, in BHP, Rio, and, and Fortescue, there's going to be some very significant cash flow being returned to shareholders. You know, these companies are very strong position. They've improved their balance sheets. Um, you know, they've they've focused on you know less around M and A like we saw last cycle, and more about being you know investor friendly and giving share you know shareholders it's their money giving it back to them, and and we're going to see that in mm. in spades in in the uh, the upcoming uh, reporting season. Well, there've been times in my life, particularly when I was doing the TV show on Sky Business, where I'd say to people that you don't buy miners for dividends, you buy them for growth, and one of the best times. In my life for buy, buying BHP was when it fell from about thirty odd dollars down to fourteen. Um, so they're great to buy when no one no one likes them. But I guess my, the question in, in many people's minds as they listen to you now is: All right, the dividends going to be good this year. Do you think the dividends will hang around for at least another year? Oh, it's a, it's a long, long way away, Peter. But, oh, come um, on, Lou. You can't. A lot can happen in, in a year. And, and uh, if you have me back uh, back then, I'll have to I'll have to explain myself. But, um, yeah, cl- clearly I'm presenting an environment where iron ore has probably seen, you know, seen the best of its days. Um, you know, so, so and, and to the other areas that we're seeing, you know, real opportunities, I guess the point that I'd reinforce Sure, you know, capital returns are going to be strong, um, you know, for, for the major Aussie miners, uh, BHP, Rio, Fortescue in particular, you know, there's a backdrop where, you know, those stocks, you know, could continue to outperform over the next year. But at the same time, you know, we see real opportunities in in pure ex- exposures within the resources space. You know, I've called out a, a couple of commodities, but copper, you know, we see a real opportunity for the, for the commodity to continue to strengthen from here. You know, so therefore, you know, would um, would target you know purer you know exposures to to the likes of copper and similarly those battery materials metals. You know that 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 suite of of other metals and and the companies that sits with within them ultimately will, will outperform. You know, with the backdrop that I'm presenting, um, you know, relative to um, the Australian uh, large cap miners. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm prepared as, as an economist, mate, to say that I do think that. The boom will continue 2022, and I just don't think the the world economy is going to hurt these miners for at least a year. I'll back reasonable dividends, probably not growing dividends, but reasonable dividends even next year. And uh, I hope I'm around in one year's time to crow that I was right on that subject. Yeah, I think you're right, Peter. That's good how I force you to answer the question that you asked, mate. <laughs> mate, thanks for coming on the program and. Uh, I hope you're right, particularly when it comes to the miners, because a lot of our people invested, but I think you are spot on in terms of those, I guess you call them resources of the future. 
Thanks, Peter. Appreciate the opportunity. And that's the show. And if you like this kind of stuff, check out my Switzer Investing show on YouTube. Just plug in Switzer Financial Group and YouTube, and you'll find out if buying uh, Crown Resorts, Qantas and Zip are good ideas or not right at this point in time. And you can get our full stock market tip analysis at switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining me. Talk to you next week. I'm Peter Switzer. Thank you.